This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast, everyone. Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. Just a reminder, if you prefer to see our faces as we speak, you can check us out at the Hockey News Live. Or if you just want to hear us in your ears, that's fine too. We're not offended. And you can just enjoy being on the podcast with us right now, which Hooray. you are. Okay? Okay, now I'm done being a, a pitch man. We can get down to hockey. A lot going on this week. The Battle of Alberta suddenly looking very relevant. That's going to be a key topic on today's show. Talk of offer sheet for Austin Matthews. Talk of expanded playoff formats. And we've got some great stuff. Our World Junior issue is coming out on newsstands. We're going to talk about that from the magazine as well. And Ken has a crazy hot take, a trade involving Patrick King. So you're going to want to stick around to hear about that. Let's get started. Hot topics. Battle of Alberta was on Sunday night, and it was kind of fun to feel how relevant it was, especially compared to even a month ago. And we're seeing both these teams on the rise. Calgary's been on fire, pun intended. And the Edmonton Oilers under Ken Hitchcock are a team transformed, which seems to be a pattern throughout Ken Hitchcock's career. So for you guys, are you seeing both these teams as really back and really for real? Is it one of them? Is it neither of them? Where are you sitting on this right now? Oh, no, I think, I think they're both back and they're for real. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the late 80s yet <laughs> with that rivalry, but it's, it's getting there. I mean, Calgary's in third place overall in the league, guys. <laughs> yeah. And they're Woo. scoring a ton. I mean, uh, Sunday night when they got shut out notwithstanding, they are scoring a ton of goals. They're fun to watch. Um, and, and they're getting a lot of scoring from a lot of different people. Edmonton, I think, you know, I mean, they're one point out of a playoff spot as we, as we speak right now. Um, and, I mean, they're 7-2-1 and one under Ken Hitchcock. So, um, you know, obviously he's brought something there that, you know, has really worked. And I, th- I think part of it was he was smart enough to give Miko Koskin in the net. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, it's proved to be a great thing for the Oilers, and it's proved to be a great thing for Cam Talbot because he's won two of the three games that he's played since Hitchcock has been there. You know, I mean, Koskin has had like a 942 save percentage uh, since since Ken Hitchcock came over, and, uh, and 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 Cam Talbot's been been actually really good too since Ken Hitchcock came over. Now I realize that a lot of those shots are probably of lesser quality than he was facing under Todd McClellan, but I think a lot of it has to do with Ken Hitchcock just being smart enough to give the net to the guy that was the better goalie. And that's the whole point, right? Under under Hitchcock's system, we've seen it time and again. Look at the goalies, especially in St. Louis, the numbers they posted. Even Steve Mason in Columbus, the best season of his career, was under Ken Hitchcock. It just seems like his defensive schemes, they do a better job of funneling lower quality chances to the net. Yeah, and I think it's important at this point of the season that you get those performances. I'm... I'm still a little leery about goaltending in both situations when it gets to crunch time because I think teams are going to get better scattering reports on Koskinen. They're going to get better scattering reports on Riddich and Calgary. Uh, luckily, these teams do have a lot of talent otherwise. And I think you know Hitchcock's system helps out defensively in Edmonton and with Calgary, just their defensemen help out their defense uh, there. I also like the buy-in we're seeing in Edmonton. You know, Milan Lucic... He knows that he's not that top six guy right, right now. He knows he does not deserve that power play time. He's buying in. He's doing it for the good of the team. He's accepting a lesser role, a different role. And I think that's what the Oilers need to do. Obviously, they've had top-end talent uh, for a couple of years now, but they've also had guys that have been put in situations that 
didn't work out the way we thought. The league had evolved. Uh, they've got some slower guys. But if they can make it work under Hitchcock, then you know you're getting basically a point, maybe a couple of points every game from Connor McDavid and his line. So if you play structured, you're always going to have a chance to win. And I think that's why Edmonton's a lot more dangerous now than they were a month ago. I thought, I thought it was funny. I thought, I thought that game Sunday night was very indicative of how the league has changed. Because in the 80s, when Calgary and Edmonton would have played each other, it would have been 8-7 and there would have been 15 fights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Last night it was one nothing, and there was one fight. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and really it was actually, by, by Calgary-Edmonton standards, it was a pretty tame affair. Um, so the game has changed. Um, but it's, it's nice to see that these two teams are relevant because, I mean, for the longest time, one or both of them hasn't been playing basically any meaning, meaningful games beyond the first couple of months of the season. Right, it's true. And what fascinates me about Hitchcock is his willingness to really lean on stars and give increased roles to his stars. If you look at Connor McDavid's ice time, it looks like it's from the 90s. He's playing 23 minutes, 24 minutes, 22 minutes, yeah. 24 minutes. And it kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with Tyler Sagan about a month ago um, about the fact that his role really changed under the one year in Hitch in Dallas last year. And all of a sudden, Tyler Sagan never killed a penalty in his life practically. Yeah. Was taking defensive zone face off, killing penalties. And Sagan told me that Hitch was so tough on him, but also never gave up on him. And he, he said he'll never forget that. And he said that Hitch would say stuff like in front of everybody, you were terrible against Sidney Crosby tonight, but guess what? You got Jonathan Taves tomorrow, you're getting right back out there, bud. So Hitch was, he was tough on his players, but he also instilled a certain confidence because he he trusted them. And of course, okay, oh, you trust Connor McDavid. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Newsflash. Yeah. So this, 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 this genius coach yeah. knows to play the right goalie and to play his best yes. player. Yeah, yeah. But what's, more, what's really fascinating is the trust in Oscar Clefbaum. Oscar Kleffbaum is a guy whose role is expanding, and you wonder, does Hitchcock envision like a Sergei Zubov type of career renaissance, mm -hmm. and he's going to give him a, a bigger and bigger role, and I think that's a big reason why you're seeing all of the Oilers look like a better team to me. And Calgary, I think we should all just pat ourselves on the back. I mean, we called them to win the division, right, right after they missed the playoffs, and I think it was pretty easy to see this coming. They had horrible injury luck last year, and they made so many roster changes, new coach, new everything. So, of course, it's going to be a different team out there, and yep. I don't think anyone's particularly surprised about that, right? Um, also on the weekend, uh, it was Chris Johnson of Sportsnet um, coming out of the Board of, Board of Governors meetings last week, talked about uh, a rise of support among the league's owners for an expanded playoff format. And even one owner supposedly wanted a, woohoo, 24 team? I, I, uh, I don't know why he's Southern, but let's say <laughs> yeah. 24 yeah, teams. Yeah, he's woo, Southern. Woo, 24 <laughs> teams in the playoffs. 24 teams in the playoffs. Everybody gets a participation badge. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious what you guys think. I know you've got some strong opinions on it, Kenny Boy. Of course. Um, <laughs> is it would it be good for the game? Is this just owners just wanting more money, pretty blatantly yeah, for the game revenues? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty, where do you guys pretty stand? much? And it would suck for the game. Uh -huh. it, it it is owners wanting more money, and it would suck for the game. This is the National Hockey League, not the National House League. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, you guys are. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna do the old man thing here. Okay, you guys are a little young <laughs> to remember the days when there were 21 teams in the league and 16 made the playoffs. I remember that. Um, the the regular season was a joke. Now, the, the NHL, the smartest thing they did was keep the playoff format the same and keep adding teams. 
So now it's to the point where 16 of soon-to-be 32 teams only half the league makes the playoffs. If you're not in the top 50 percentile, you shouldn't be in the playoffs. No play-ins, no none of these other things. Like, forget it. Like, it's working. Like, the thing that the NHL talks about now all the time, Gary Bettman goes on and on and on about, is the parity and how meaningful the games are and how close they are and how it's so intense and everything. Don't take that away. That's the best part of this, of the regular season now. Now you can go to a regular season game in January and it actually means something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, you look at other sports, like college football has become a complete joke with bowl <laughs> games. Like, as long as you have an, like a 500 record, I think you can be in a bowl game. Maybe you have to be seven and six, but there's so many of them now where it's like, yeah, we're in the Joe's Plumbing Bowl. Yeah. It's we're taking the, like, place. Point out anything you can see. We're in the <laughs> yeah. Christmas tree ornament mug bowl. <laughs> we're in the mug bowl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in someone's backyard. And like, what's the point? Like, it used to be a big deal. It's right. like the cotton bowl, the sugar bowl. And I, I feel the same thing. Like, the only thing I would say is if you want to do the play in series, then all of a sudden the regular season has to be like 76 games instead of 82. Right. And I know that for the owners, they're like, well, then we lose a couple of home yeah, games. Yeah, like, well, defeats, too bad. But that's going to defeat the purpose. Of the defeats thing, their right? purpose. Yeah. But you have to think yeah. about the players here. Yeah. And the playoffs are already long and arduous. If you're going to win that cup, I mean, you're barely going to be hanging on by a thread by the end of it. And uh, sometimes it's a miracle they even get the cup over their heads based on the way they've been yeah. bruised and battered. You want the playoffs to be special. You want them to be good, intense hockey. You add more rounds, even these playoff, these play-in games. I just think it, it denigrates the product, and it's... Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's just a bad vibe. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of reminded me of uh, the 1991 playoffs when the Minnesota North Stars had one of the worst records in the league. Yeah. And they made, made the, the playoffs, final. and they yeah. went all the way to the final. Yeah. Some people could say that was a cool Cinderella story, but once they got to that final, it was not competitive at all. Not at all. And uh, it was sort of a fluke, and it just felt odd. Like, it made, it made the regular season feel pointless. Kind of reminded me of House League the year that my team was last place and we made the final. We were the worst <laughs> team in the league and we were in the final. Because you were on it. Because you were on it. That's yep. why you were uh, the worst yes, team in the league. Yes, that's accurate. <laughs> Correct. And you missed all the playoff games and that's why they went to the final. <laughs> <laughs> I might have actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's also been some talk over the weekend. Um, there's been a, a legitimate groundswell um, among insiders and in the rumor mill that mm -hmm. this could be the year that we really do see the offer sheet uh, for Austin Austin Matthews. Um, and because the Leafs, we know they're going to be in a tight spot. They're going to have to sign Mitch Marner, restricted free agent. And Kasperi Kapanen keeps upping his price with his play as well, also an RFA. It's going to be tight to fit everyone under that cap. So I guess the line of thinking is you could really put the squeeze on the Leafs yep. by, you know, do you offer Austin Matthews a $14 million AAV? 16.6 .6 is the maximum if you go 20%. I guess the main question I always ask when someone brings it up is, do you really think this is going to happen? Because when I think of offer sheets, I just think of barn fights, and I think of GMs and, and losing goodwill with each other and burning each other's bridges, and I do think that is a, something that matters in the game. Oh, it's, it's, why, there are, it's why there are no yes. offer sheets. So that's why I'm, I'm forever skeptical yeah. about offer sheets. I, I, I'm sort of, I know that you know, we saw Shea Weber, there was Thomas Vanek, but they're still very, very rare. I'm in the believe-it-when-I-see-it camp, yeah. and I, I don't think it's going to happen. But what I, do you guys think? I disagree. I, I, I think it's been six or seven years since there's been, a, since there's been an offer sheet. But, okay, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm telling you one thing, that if Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine get to July 1st and neither of them gets an offer sheet, 
if I'm the NHLPA, I've, I've, I think I've got a perfect and, and obvious case for collusion. Mm. I, I mean, that is, that is textbook collusion. I mean, if you've got talents like that that are out there that can be offered only money to, uh, to sign a contract with you and, no, and, and you've got 31 other teams and nobody does it, that to me would be collusion. What about draft pick compensation though? Isn't it four first rounders at that yeah. price? Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. It for, is for, for for the guy that might be the one of the top two players in the league for the next ten years. What about yeah. four of those guys? I know it's not that simple, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't think it's an easy decision to be oh, like. Oh, I, I, I think. I think. I think. I to to me, if it, if it, if if Austin Matthews is still out there as a restricted free agent on July second, it's an easy decision for Arizona. But if you're but if you're yeah. terrible, easy but decision. Arizona, you're gonna you're probably lost Antti Ranta for the whole year. You're gonna be terrible enough. Probably that you're going to get some high picks for the next well, four years. Yeah, again. but you're getting that pick this year. You've already yeah, yeah. made that pick this year. Right. So, and presumably you're either not going to get Austin Matthews because he's going to match, the Leafs are going to match, mm. or you're going to have him, which is going to make your team better. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think the thing we have to realize here is that um, the, the Leafs might not be as tight to the salary cap as we all think in the long term. Short term pain, yes, there's going to be some decisions. Assuming Matthews and Marner sign where it's like, well, Jake Gardner might price himself off the lineup. And, and that's okay. He's an unrestricted free agent. If he wants to go to the open market, he could probably get like $7 million. If he wants to take a hometown discount to stay in Toronto, then that option would be there as well. But I think what we have to realize is, you know, there's an American TV deal coming up in a couple of years. There's another expansion team coming up. The game is growing. Vegas is a great success. You kind of have to assume at this point that the salary cap's going to keep going up, and we also have a lockout that's going to completely throw everything out of whack. Hopefully not. Hopefully we don't have a lockout, but if we do, we'll probably have one. one. There's going to be one. If we do, that could mean complete unknowns for contracts. So if you're Austin Matthews and you know that you're going to get an eight-year deal here, why would you sell yourself short in contract negotiations? Mm -hmm. And I agree with Ken. If the Leafs don't sign him before July 1st, that's going to be trouble. Because yeah. not only do you potentially have an offer sheet, but his price might go up at the same time because of the threat of an offer sheet. Right. So instead of saying, I want 12 or I want 13, maybe it's I want 14 now. I, I know my value. And this is not a matter of, is he better than Connor McDavid? Because McDavid's you know making less than 13, obviously. It's what will the market bear? What's the salary cap right, right now? Right. What's going on right now? And I think there's a lot of things at play here. And, you know, like everyone's seen what happened with Dubas and Nylander. Dubas has already said he didn't like that it went so long and he, he feels bad about that. That's going to have an impact on Matthews. It's going to have an impact on Marner as well. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot to fit in there. But if you want to keep the best players possible in Toronto, Matthews and Marner are the priorities, you have to get that done. And I think you have to get it done way before July 1st. Yeah, way before July 1st. It'll probably be after the season and before July 1st. And the, and my guess is they're both going to get done. Mm. And I think the thing that's going to save the Leafs here is Austin Matthews is going to be a hockey player. He's going to be a mm. hockey player. I've I've been told, and and this is not like it's, it's kind of third hand, but that Matthews has already said he doesn't want to ma be making much more than Connor McDavid. Oh, okay. um, so, and Connor McDavid is... Just let's let's put it out there and put it on the record. 
Connor McDavid is grossly and vastly underpaid. Yes. Okay, because he's a hockey <laughs> so player. So is Sidney yeah. Crosby. Yeah. Chris Sidney Crosby has been right. for years. Yeah, because yeah. they're hockey players. Yeah. And they don't they don't go for the max salary because they want to be able to have the room for the team to build around them, which is which is noble and great and all those other things. Yeah. But if he does that, then I think the Leafs will be in a much better spot. Fantasy pickup time, and the theme of the week is is mostly guys getting unexpected opportunities. So you've got David Krejci in Boston. It's a pretty simple pickup. He's currently with Brad Marchand and David Pasternak. We've seen the chemistry before with Krejci and Pasternak when they've played together in spurts before. Patrice Bergeron is still going to be out a little while longer, and the, the timeline for his recovery of the shoulder is still kind of murky. So just if Krejci, again, looking at the ownership tags, he's available, and I think it was 70% of leagues last I looked. There's no reason why a guy like that should be available, even in a shallow league, when he's playing on such a productive line with two elite wingers. You have to go get him right away. Second pickup to look at, and this is one you're going to have to monitor over a span of a few days, and I call this giving a guy a tryout, okay? So if you're looking for help on your blue line, I would add Noah Hannafin. And we know the talent is there, and he's got the first-round pedigree. His role seems to be increasing. He's been getting some power play time, and with Mark Giordano out right now, suspended, uh, Noah Hannafin is on that first power play unit. And even if Giordano's back, Hannafin will probably still be at least on the second unit. And the Flames are just playing such great hockey right now that you want any piece of that offense you can get. Uh, and again, it's hard to find good defensemen sometimes off the wire. So if there's someone with that pedigree and that opportunity, you grab him. And thirdly, I'm going to go back to the Ottawa Senators as well. I keep going there again and again. But to me, the, the Senators this year are just this end, endless little well of cheap options in fantasy because, they, because they're giving so many of the young players opportunities. The latest one is Colin White with Mac Duchesne injured right now. Colin White is playing between Brady Kachuk and Mark Stone. That alone is the reason to pick up a guy. And the thing with White, it's not like this is some AHL journeyman being thrown into the into that role. We know Colin White is a former first-round pick. When he was first being scouted and when we were doing our Future Watch editions, he was com being compared to a Patrice Bergeron type of player Absolutely. with his two-way play. Yep. And because he's got that smart game, it means he's always trusted by a coach. He's always going to get big minutes uh, if, he, if he's given uh, enough of a chance, right? So that's a guy that, okay, sure, maybe Duchesne's going to come back and you might see White's role diminished again. But at the same time, Duchesne is a guy who's a pending UFA. It's not a guarantee that he stays an Ottawa Senator right. this year. It is a guarantee, virtually, that Colin White does. And we know he's getting an increased opportunity and he has a chance to prove himself and establish a role that he might be able to keep if he really forms some nice chemistry on that line. There you go. Now, Ryan, the floor is yours to talk some prospects. Okay, so let's start off with the 2019 draft class. The Muskegon Lumberjacks of the USHL have a very nice player right now, Igor Afanasyev, 6'3", 203 pounds, one of the top scorers in the league, 29 points in 21 games. Um, but there's a lot of intrigue around him because he's a Michigan State commit, uh, played some of, some of his minor hockey in the Detroit area, but his rights in the OHL were just traded as part of the deal that sent Michael DiPietro from the Windsor Spitfires to the Ottawa 67s. So there's some conditional picks involved in that swap, and Afanasyev's rights go to Windsor. If he plays for the Spitfires, then the conditional picks go away. Uh, they revert back to Ottawa. Now, what I'm hearing is that you're not going to see Afanasyev bolt this year to the OHL, but... What Windsor is hoping for, I believe, is that once Afanasiev gets drafted this summer, if the NHL franchise that takes him would prefer to see him in major junior versus college, 
then obviously he goes to Windsor, and that's a huge pickup for the Spitfires because this kid can produce. He's got the great size. He's also very versatile. He's been playing on the wing, but that's only because the Lumberjacks have two excellent top two centers in Bobby Lynch and Mikhail Hakkarainen. Um, so I really like Afanasiev. Right now he's looking like he's probably like a second rounder, um, but maybe he can even get into the first based on the way he's been playing. Uh, switching over to drafted prospects now, uh, we are talking to World Juniors soon, and the, the World Junior issue is out. Uh, Ty Smith is going to be a very good candidate for the Canadian Blue Line. Leads the WHL in scoring by a defenseman right now with 39 points in 28 games for the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, what I like about the New Jersey Devils first rounder, obviously uh, great on the power play, great puck-moving defenseman, but... If we're thinking long-term here, he's also a 2,000-year birthday, so he can make the World Junior Team this year for Canada, play a nice role there, but he'll also be eligible next year. So if the Devils don't have him in the NHL full-time, and he's not the biggest guy, so he might need that extra year before he really makes a charge, then all of a sudden Canada has a potential captain for next year's tournament. I know I'm looking very forward here, but I think Ty Smith is a great candidate this year, and I think he would be even more crucial next year, and he's just been great for the Chiefs. Interesting. Um, I have a dream that uh, Afanasiev <laughs> makes the NHL and then gets in a fight in a game against Detroit and has to fight Andreas Athanasiu. Oh. Just so that the play-by-play guy's mouth can explode. Afanasiev, <laughs> Like, I, it'd be the ultimate tongue twister that fight. Guy. Yeah, I want that to happen. Nice. I know it's a, it's a long shot, okay? But <laughs> it's a long shot. A dare to dream. There you go. Uh, Ryan mentioned that uh, the World Junior issue is, is out now, and it is. Uh, next next week, the next show, the next edition of the Hockey News Live and the Hockey News Podcast is going to be an all-World Junior blowout. So we're going to be looking to the future, the upcoming tournament. But for now, I want to take you in the past a little bit uh, to something I did in this issue. It's the oral history of the 2004 World Junior Championship. And if you remember this tournament, it's the one with the Marc-Andre Fleury own goal. And USA got its first ever win. And I love doing these oral histories. It's so much fun because, especially when you're talking to retired players, uh, they always say a lot more. And it's funny because I remember Ken and I were doing an oral history before, a couple years ago, about uh, a team of guys who are still in the NHL. And I remember Shea Weber told me, honestly, man, I'm going to have a lot to say when my career is over. I just can't think about it right now. But for this tournament, most of the guys, or a lot of the guys, uh, had very interesting thoughts, especially Patrick O'Sullivan, who's out of the game now and has the ability to really reflect. And, and he shared me some really interesting insights. Um, and one, one was that he said he said uh, he was celebrating like a, like a jackass, as he put it, after he scored, because he actually thought that he'd scored on Marc-Andre Fleury. He didn't know that Fleury had cleared it off Coburn in the net, so he's embarrassed now when he looks back and sees himself going crazy because he thinks <laughs> he actually scored the goal. Uh, and I did also talk to some guys who are still in the NHL now. Ryan Suter, Zach Frise were really great helping me out for this thing. And the, the Team USA players, so this, this feature was mainly done from the U.S. perspective because the guys who won, they're more likely <laughs> yeah. to want to talk about yeah. it, right? So yeah. you, you mainly get the USA guys. Uh, and I remember Parise in particular talked about Canada being the boogeyman, and people forget that Team USA was the favorite going into this tournament. Right. It's sort of a revisionist history yeah. about this upset. It was not an upset. It was the favorite winning, even though USA had never won. But for Parise and also Coach Mike Eves, all the guys I talked to, Canada was this boogeyman, and as soon as they, they started to play... Canada and realized they're facing them in the final, the nerves kicked in, and that's why U.S. fell behind, had to make this great comeback. It was really fun putting it together, so I hope you guys uh, want to check it out, and it's now, always I'm, a great time. I'm, I'm a little actually, I mean, I'm actually a little miffed, a little hurt. What, what about? My short turned and odd a little bit. What about Brett? Well, that you didn't talk to me for this story, because, <laughs> oh, you're at the as game? you know, 
I covered this game. I covered the game for the Toronto Star mm -hmm. in 2004, Helsinki. And there was some great stuff going on at that tournament. Yeah. I remember the day before the tournament, we were doing sort of the big sort of hype stories for the game, hyping up the game, and talking to Ryan Suter, and he was talking about how when his dad won in 1980, we were talking about the gold medal, and and there's you know this this great story about how they just keep it, they just kept it sitting around the house. It would be sitting on the coffee table, and he said, yeah, I used to bring it in for show and tell at school, and I said, yeah, sure, sure beats Star Wars action figures, eh? And he yeah. Goes, yeah, no question. And uh, no, it was it was a it was an amazing tournament. I remember after the second period. I was, you know, getting ready to write the story about how, you know, Canada was back. They were so dominant on the world scene and winning all these tournaments. And then next thing you know, I'm going like, well, I guess the story is about Patrick O'Sullivan and, uh, <laughs> and his checkered past. That's right. That's right. And, and O'Sullivan told me as well that what was really fascinating and what, what really brought the U.S. team together was these guys have been playing together for years, some of them all the way back to high school, their childhood, yep. like the, the guys from Minnesota. And Patrick O'Sullivan, he lived with Coach Mike Eaves for a year and because it was the centralization, right? The sort of rise of the U.S. national team development program. And they had won the World Under 18s a couple years before. So this big group of players were traveling. And uh, at one point, Mike Eaves, he chewed out in the second intermission of the comeback, he chewed out Zach Prize saying, you, you're, you haven't been good. And as O'Sullivan explained it to me, Canada's coach could not have done that because they didn't right. have those relationships. Whereas in the U.S. room, everybody knew each other so well, you could go right at each other and there was a, a respect and everyone just was so comfortable and able. Everyone knew what to say to each other, yeah. to motivate each other. Whereas Canada, you had sort of this ragtag group of big star players that were thrown together. And, right? and it was also the, sort of the culmination of the NTDP program yeah. like the, it working because yes. in in world junior tournaments uh like not to that point but go, leading up to that um a lot of the problems with the u.s was that the major junior guys and the college guys just didn't get along they just mm. they didn't mesh well they didn't get along but now as you're saying you know they're all growing up playing tournaments against one each against one another a lot of the world the guys that are in junior hockey are playing in the ntdp before they go there yeah. so they they really made a cohesive unit and they didn't have that sort of separation they had had right. in a lot of past years right and they were built yeah. like a pro team as they told me like they had legitimate they had an actual third line like they, they had jake dowell to go out there right in a shutdown role when, when they were protecting a lead right whereas right. canada was star 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 which is Sexy, but doesn't always gel. So there you go. Uh, hot take time. I've been waiting for this one. Ken's got an idea for a Patrick Kane trade. So lay it on us, buddy. Okay, well, I'm going to do my old man thing here because I wrote it all down. Um, yeah, okay, so uh, we all know the Pat that the Chicago Blackhawks are going nowhere at breakneck speed this year. They may... In fact, I mean, it was a hot take that they were going to finish last overall, but now maybe it's I don't not. think it was. I think that was a cold take because I agree. Like, they were last last No, but, year, but it yeah. was our hot take episode is yeah. what I'm saying, right? Okay. So, but, but, so, so now what you're, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you have to start thinking about, you know, do we tear this thing down? And if we do, how do we do it? And I think the perfect way to do that would be to trade Patrick Kane to his hometown Buffalo Sabres. Mm. And a mammoth deal for... As I said, uh, Sam Reinhardt, Jason Pominville, Uko Pekka Laukinen, Brendan Gould, Victor Olofsson, who's a point-a-game player in the American Hockey League, and three first-round picks. Wow. wow. Three yeah. first, I don't know if you need the, the first-rounders. Well, yeah. no, because you do You do because you're you're trading Jason Pominville. You're getting rid of that salary because you have to make room for Patrick Kane, right? Uh -huh. So, see, the thing is, and Buffalo wouldn't really miss them that, that badly because they'd be giving up their own pick. They've also got San Jose's first-round pick this year from the Evander Kane trade, mm -hmm. and they've got St. Louis's first-round pick from the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Wow. Now, that pick, crazily enough, that pick was lockout, or sorry, not lockout protected, but lottery, but lottery protected, and it looks like... <laughs> 
it's it's going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, so right. that pick moves to 2020. So, right. you, so now Chicago has their own pick, plus Buffalo's, plus San Jose's this year, and they got their own pick, and St. Louis is next year. It, like, they can, they can absolutely, like, within the space of two years, completely restock their system, mm-hmm. po- you know, give themselves a better chance to be a bad team and get Jack Hughes. It could, this is a d- deal, I think, that could put them right back on, to, on track for rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And then it gives Buffalo that big line that everybody needs. Like, every team now has, like, this dominant line. And I'm looking at a line of Jeff Skinner, uh, uh, Jeff Skinner, Jack Eichel, and Patrick Kane, and I'm like, yeah. that's scary. I like it. I think yeah. it's a great deal. I, I, I think that's a lot considering how much Patrick Kane makes on the salary cap, but I, I like the theory. I think I think you don't need as many first-round picks. I, I, I get the Pominville salary I'm, See, I'm thing. trying to keep, like, I'm trying to keep Casey Middlestad out of it. I'm trying sure, to, keep, sure. you know, like, I'm trying to keep that, what about you know, Kane instead Thompson? of, so, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking you go more with, with quantity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's quality too, but, yeah. but like, so instead of giving up, you know, uh, you know, Sam Reinhart and Casey Middlestat, you give up Sam Reinhart and all these other pieces that maybe aren't as right. sure a thing, but give you a lot of chances at the plate. I like it. And, and Victor Olofsson is a guy who's an older guy. He's been, yeah. you know, he's been around for a while. It's his first, it's actually his first year as a pro, and he's putting up a point a game at the American League. Mm, yeah. And what I like about it for Buffalo, too, is right now Buffalo's cap situation is actually quite nice. Just the way that their RFAs are landing. Mm. Like, re-signing Jeff Skinner if they want to this summer is going to be no problem because they have none of their big guys, like Rasmus Dahlin's a couple years out before he, his next big contract. They have nothing landing this year that's yeah, going to create a, lot a big Yeah, ca- they don't conundrum. have a lot of cap space this year, but they got a lot yeah. of cap space Going into so I think year. they could make it work. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be a, a mountain right. to, to climb to, right. to get Kane to work under the cap. So interesting. And he would have to give up his no movement clause, obviously, which I'm assuming he would do to yeah, go he back might, home. Right? Yeah. I mean, his father wouldn't have to go to Chicago so much. Like his father's at almost every game, yeah. <laughs> and so he could live at home. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the one team where the scenario works with right. Kane waving. Right. It. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Mailbag time now. The first question is from Capitals District. So it's not a surprise that it's about Alex Ovechkin. Capitals District says, is, Alex, is Alexander Ovechkin playing better, more confident overall this year as a more relaxed Stanley Cup champion? Will the Caps be hungry enough for a repeat uh, with Tampa Bay and Nashville early Cup final favorites? favorites? It's a great question. Um, and I think you are on to something, Capitals District. I think Ovi, it does seem like there's yep. something off his shoulders. Yep, he's, absolutely. As of press time here, he's leading, leading the league in goals again and tracking for not just 50. Yeah, he's tracking <laughs> for 60 goals. Uh, and I do, to me, Washington is a team, and we've talked about it before, um, now that they've got that first monkey off their back, I think they'll be a very tough out in the playoffs because Dang. they've got, now they've got the big game experience, the big game swagger. They still have enough guys in their prime, like Kuznetsov in the playoffs. Yeah. Man, he's a monster. So, yeah, I, I think that the Caps will be an extremely tough opponent for whoever draws them throughout the playoffs. I, I would hate to have to face them yeah. in yeah. any round. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to sooner or later. But, like, I mean, the, the problem with the Capitals was when they got in a playoff jam before, they couldn't look at each other and go, hey, remember that time we overcame adversity? It was like, oh, remember that time we lost to Pittsburgh? Yes. Remember that time we lost to Pittsburgh? You know, I mean, but now they can go back and say, you know, the thing about the, the, the thing that people don't realize about the Washington Capitals is they're one of a very small handful of teams in NHL history. I know the 95 Devils were one, and, and I, I can't remember if there were others, but they were trailing in every series they played in last year in the playoffs. Mm. They were down in every series. They were down 2 nothing to Columbus. 
they were down to Pittsburgh. They were down to uh, Tampa in the final. They were down 3-2. They had to win the last two games, and they lost the first game of the Stanley Cup final. So this this is a team that can now say, whoop de doo we're yeah. down 2-0, yeah, going yeah, back yeah. home. Or we're, we're down 2-0. Who cares? I mean, we can, we, we've got this. We can do this. Yes, I absolutely think the Washington Capitals are going to be super, super dangerous in the playoffs. Mm. Yeah, I... Uh, once again, I, I feel bad for a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are kind of like <laughs> they're the capital. Washington. They're Washington, they're Washington yeah. to a, a lesser extent. But, yeah, if they meet up with them in the first round or two, then the Capitals are just going to go in there Joe Cool style. M- meanwhile, Columbus is going to be white-knuckling it because they know it's the last time they're going to have Bobrovsky and Panarin oh, yeah. right. in the lineup in the yeah. playoffs, and they got to make that run, and all of a sudden you're – going against the team that's basically like jacuzzi style right now, you know? And I, I, I don't I don't know if I would trust Washington to go all the way this year because I, I just think that either Winnipeg or Nashville or maybe Calgary or Edmonton is going to come out of the West and be really potent or whoever comes out of the Atlantic division, assume they're not too banged up metaphorically, uh, from playing each other is just going to be that much more battle-tested mm-hmm. once they get to Washington. Mm-hmm. But I, I do agree that it's it's not going to be fun to play the Caps no, in the playoffs. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. absolutely. Uh, next question. We've had we've had Queechy before, and Queechy's back, everyone. Welcome back, Queechy. And Queechy asks, Mr. Keech. will the winner of the Atlantic Division also be the Stanley Cup champion? There's certainly a, a strong chance. I mean, the, yeah, Atlantic the precedent Division, is there. It's happened right. the last and three you, years. Yeah, and, and you've had. Oh no, that's the metro. That's the metro. That's the metro. Oh, I'm sorry. Although, you know what, though? Here's my hot take. I'm sorry. I was thinking that the, I kept thinking the. Is it because oh, the division they, names yeah, make no yeah, sense? Yeah, yes, doesn't make that no might sense. Be it. Okay? Yeah, the yeah, metro's yeah, got like yeah, five yeah, teams on the Atlantic Ocean, and the Atlantic's got mainly landlocked teams. It's <laughs> BS. Better. Just flip those names. Come yeah. on. You know? Yes. Jeez. I'm with you. All right. I mean, there's certainly a great chance. Uh, Tampa Bay looks like the favorite, and you know that if Boston's healthy, they're going to be deadly. Look what they did to Toronto, even without Patrice Bergeron on the weekend. Yep. The Leafs are still a stacked team. If they can get their defense figured out, they're going to be in the mix. Yeah, but we all know they're going to lose in the first <laughs> round. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Mr. Hot Take. Buff- I mean, Buffalo's <laughs> had shown flashes, even though they've gone cold now, but they've even looked deadly. So I don't think it's a it's a crazy idea that the the, the champion comes out of the Atlantic. I personally think the champion's going to come out of the Central. Mm-hmm. But what do you guys think? Well, I mean, Winnipeg's going to win the Stanley Cup. We've been saying it for a year and a half, so right. it is going to come out of the Central. Yeah. Or it's going to be Nashville. Nashville's kind of hit the skids a little bit too lately, but they're, I mean, they're obviously a team that's president trophy caliber team. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and but the one thing is, you know, you talked, Ryan, about, you know, them getting, uh, you know, the, the Atlantic teams getting beat up, too beat up along the way. I don't think that's going to happen because mm. none of the teams, including Boston in that division, they don't play that style. Like yeah, it's they're yeah. not they're not like grinding kind of physical teams. None of them. Mm. Toronto's not that way. Uh, Buffalo's not that way. Boston's certainly Boston's not that way. And Tampa. and and neither is Tampa. Yeah. So I I don't think it will be that sort of grind that you know you, you may think it would be. I think mm. it's going to be fairly. You know, it'll be they'll be tough series, and they'll probably be long series. But the, I don't yeah. think they're going to be ones where you're going to come out with you know ice packs all over your body, sort of thing. Yeah, they're going to be fast and they're going to be long, and I yeah. think that's where they might just the be tired. Out. They might just be tired. They might just tired. be tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's going to be a lot of lactic acid built yeah. up yeah. in those quads um, or other muscles. I don't know. <laughs> I weigh 170 pounds. Um, I, I I can see 
the champion coming out of the Atlantic, but I could also see, as we've said, it could be like three or four teams. Out of, I, I would say three. I, I'm not sure Buffalo's there. Um, not yet, at least. But Tampa, Toronto, Boston, I could see any of those teams making a long run. Uh, I, I do think Winnipeg and Nashville are the answers on the Western side. Um, but I, I think the Atlantic is far and away the better division. Yeah. yeah in the East this season. And I think Absolutely. I think we're going to see five from the Atlantic and three from the Metro mm-hmm. when it yeah. comes down to Which it. Which is kind of not what we expected. Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's just how yeah. the way things have gone. And uh, I think the Atlantic, that, that's going to be some exciting first and second round oh, hockey. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're only, you're only 170? That's weird. You look a lot heavier than that. Eh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and our final question this week comes from Il K. Il K says... How do LTIR, long-term injury reserve contracts, affect a team's salary cap? And for example, what impact does the Nathan Horton contract have in the least salary salary cap? She's like, I can't talk, apparently. eh? Salary, I'm Elmer Fudd. (laughs) Salary cap. He would would have never been able to be an NHL GM these days. Well, I don't know. I think there's an NHL GM out there who talks like Elmer Fudd a little bit. I don't want to say, though, because what if if he needs to take my phone call? Right, exactly. I'll let you guys figure that one out for yourself. Okay. Um, well, how does it, how does LTIR affect the, the cap? Well, um, basically the way it works, uh, is that when you put a guy on LTIR, um, you can replace his, his salary on your roster without it, without accounting against the cap. So, uh, so basically as long as Nathan Horton's on LTIR, his 5.9, whatever it is, can be supplemented by other players without the Leafs being penalized. Now, the thing is, if Nathan Horton like had some kind of miracle recovery and and showed up at the Maple Leaf, at you know at Mastercard Center, the Maple Leafs practice facility, and yeah. said, "Hey, I'm good to go, guys. I'm ready to go. I'm I'm, I'm healed." They would have to oh, they, would have, they would have to scramble big Dude. time. Right. We know that's not going to happen. Which is why they had to scramble when Joffrey, Joffrey Lupo was trying to claim that he was right. Better. And and yeah. and as we all know, there are certain ways around these things. Uh, you <laughs> know, work around. Yeah, yeah. But 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 uh, in any event, yeah, that's that's the way it works. I think for a while Horton wasn't on he was counting against that cap for the least, but he's not anymore. And he was counting against the cap for Columbus. Um, mm. The thing about Nathan Horton's contract is it wasn't insured. So yeah. so insurance is not paying that. And that's a big part of the reason why they made that trade. Mm. They traded Nathan Horton for David Clarkson because they thought, well we're paying a guy who's Definitely doing nothing for us. Let's trade him for a guy that might do a little bit for us, but ended up not doing anything, and now is not doing anything for Vegas. Right. Right. So it's it's a big shell game. It's a it's a big shell game, and it, and it protects teams from, you know, I mean, the fact that you know if they get if they run into a bunch of injuries like long term injuries, they're not in salary cap hell. Yeah, and we're actually seeing teams take advantage of this. It's not even a loophole, just the way the way things work out, where you're trading guys that you know are never going to play for you again. Oh, yeah. uh, Arizona has made a feast of it, and you know we we make the jokes that like they could be winning the 2009 Stanley Cup yeah. with Datsuk and Boland and, and Chris Pronger. Pronger yeah, yeah. You know. They have more Hall of Famers in their lineup not playing. Than yeah, exactly. I told Chris Pronger, I called that trade the day before. And we were at the draft, and I said to Chris Pronger, like, "Hey, they're going to pull a U, and they're going to trade for Pavel Datsuk," <laughs> and then they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it can be used, actually, to a team's advantage because you can get stuff back in return if you don't mind having that, uh, that's, that sort of hole in your lineup. Or, in the case of the Leafs, they, they manage to get a, a worse contract off the books. Yeah, and and yeah. they know that they have the deep pockets uh, 
in real money versus salary cap money to cover it. Fair. All right. Well, that's it for the podcast this week, everybody. And tune in next week. Well, we're we're going to. I can't talk today, guys. Jeez, I'm sorry, everybody. But uh, <laughs> just stick with me here. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna get it out. We are doing an all world junior edition of the podcast next week. It's gonna be fun, and I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> See you next week, everybody.